Hi there, this is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners. Welcome to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast series, where we feature leading practitioners and thinkers across connected industry and the broader technology landscape. Hello, everyone. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner at Momenta Partners, with another episode of our Edge Podcasts. The podcast gives us a chance to dive a bit deeper into ideas and conversations with some of the most interesting thinkers, practitioners, and authors that we find that have uh, great perspectives around connected industry. And this morning, we've got a or actually, it's morning for me. Depending on on when people are listening, uh, we have we have uh, two special guests from from Davra Networks. Um, we've got Paul Glynn, who is the CEO, and Joe Quinn, who's the CTO. Uh, I know that that Paul has uh, um, is is fighting a bit of a uh, a, 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 a bit of a uh, bit of a cold, and so really appreciate him making the time to to come uh, speak with us and and, and share thoughts. Um, so what I'll do is, I, is I'm going to open it up and and be um, and ask uh, each of you to to provide a quick context around your background and and talk about what in your experience informs your view of of connected industries. So um, first, I'll go to you, Paul, and 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 then and then Joe. Okay, hi Ed. Uh, thanks for having us on today. Much appreciated, and, uh, and thanks for highlighting the fact that I'm, I'm dying here. I'll try and keep it together for the next half hour or so. Um, well, look, firstly, I suppose a little bit of background on Davra. We are an Irish company headquartered in Dublin. Um, our focus is very much in me and North America. We have our US sales offices in Sunnyvale in California. And the next couple of weeks, we'll be opening an East Coast office in Connecticut. And we develop, uh, I suppose, what started as, as an AEP, an application enablement platform for, for, for the Internet of Things. But it's, it's, it's certainly broadened in its scope quite considerably since our inception back in 2011. So we're, we're, we're around quite a long time. Um, IoT platform company, our background is, is networking. So we're network guys. We're used to working in the world of Cisco and Intel and HP and Huawei and those guys for, for a long, long time now. Um, so that very much, uh, I, I suppose, flavors how we come to market. We understand the network and the value of the network and the importance of the network in, in any IoT project and how to use the sort of network technology. We're also coming from a, a, you could call it, I suppose, a big data background in that in our previous company, which we uh, we sold to Fluke Networks back in 2007, we, we focused very much on technologies like NetFlow, which was which was big data before the, the, before there was big data, I suppose, because it was all about looking at exactly who was using the network, when they were using, what applications they were using, how they were using it, looking at quality of the network. So, so we're coming at IoT from an unusual direction where we regard it and most of our customers and partners regard it as the next evolution of the networking industry. People are just connecting things they've never connected before. Things like buses, trucks, trains, ATMs, vending machines. And they want to connect them so they can collect uh, data from them and turn that data into some form of usable business intelligence. And our platform basically helps them with each step of that process. That's great, and uh, and and Joe, uh, what what's what's your background? 
Yeah, no, similar to so myself and Paul, we worked together back back years in the network management uh, industry. And, and as as Paul said, you know, really that's that's where we came from, and that's how we made our our first forays into IoT. Actually, was was um, managing network devices on vehicles, and we realised that the type of traditional network management technologies out there didn't actually really suit so you know you know for managing these types of devices but a technology that we had kind of built a product around was much more suitable for connecting these devices that maybe remote or don't have the same reliable connection back to a back to a head end and also as paul said our, our big data background we've seen these two capabilities as being you know, perfect to to look at this 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 new IoT market and build applications. So first of all, connect things, and then actually harvest the data from them. And from there, we developed into an IoT platform. As I said, probably first of all, you know, building out um, applications in the transport space, and then probably around three years ago, and and it kind of evolved as well. With the with the standards and the way those evolved, with you know things like LoRa and Sigfox and Narrowband IoT, where we've built those into the platform, and really it's 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 exploded the amount of applications and verticals and industries that we can now target. And um, so we you know as as we said we're 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 kind of established in transport, but we've also been been working a lot recently in areas like manufacturing, like healthcare, uh, smart agriculture, mining, um, industries like that. So that's how we've evolved. Really, I guess what we look for, you know, when, when we look as, as to where we're going to bring the platform next is, is verticals that are ripe for disruption. Um, ones that I, I guess that are starting to embrace this, I guess, digitization of their assets and their operations. Um, so, you know, we, and we also look at what, what, what the ecosystem would look like to target such a vertical. So when we look at, a, you know, I said, when, we, when you look at what informs our view, you know, we look at, we look at the, the, the vertical itself, but we also look at, you know, system integrator partners that we can partner with to help scale. Ultimately, we always look for ways where, how, where can we achieve scale with our platform? So we look at system integrator partners, we look at the vendors that we have, the vendor relationships we have, um, how suitable those are for a particular industry. And we also look at the customer side, how willing are the customers to embrace this type of new paradigm for their industry. And, and you know, if, if things, if, if those things check out for us, then that that's how we kind of go horizontal in, into further industries and grow and evolve our platform. Yeah, you you touched on a really interesting point there, Joe, and and that's this, you know, the 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 extreme need for vertical expertise uh, in IoT. And I I wanted to go back a bit and uh, talk about how you uh, how you decided to to build a platform. How you know what was it that what were the customer pain points that you were looking to solve? And and of course, in the early stages of a market, platforms are really the way that you build that foundation for the for the solutions and applications to come but uh, could you could you talk about some of the key customer pain points that that you saw that that were um, first yeah. of all that that prompted you to build the platform and then and also some some thinking about the platform itself and and really the decision to uh, to build on the the competencies you already had but but also to go in you know to go into this application enablement platform uh, opportunity yeah well it, it, it kind of happened 
naturally. Um, so so we, we started off as something. And this is pretty much every, pro, every platform started off as something specific at one point. And they always say every product is a platform waiting to happen. So we started off. With our, with our first, with our first um, IoT solution, we called it, and it was built on an IoT gateway that uh, one of our vendor partners released, um, and it was it was very specific for fleet management, and it done some very specific fe- uh, features around that. But then, as we as we got, um, and that w- that was with Cisco, and as as we worked more with the Cisco BU and the Cisco sales channel, which is enormous, what we realized more and more is that. No two, no two projects they were bringing us, us into were the same. So we were constantly coming across this case where we had to do customizations, tweaks, ads, changes, even small ones. So we realized pretty quickly that you know just that this single single product kind of approach wasn't going to suit. Um, you know, even taking fleet as an example, you, you, you know, you might think of fleet management or, tra- or smart connected transport. Oh, it's, it, it's very similar. But the, the, the differences between ambulances and fire trucks and a, a solution for school buses, enterprise fleets, uh, public mass transit, they're actually large differences from one to the other. So we realized pretty quickly that we had to do something to help us to scale across all of these types of projects that we were we were being brought into. Um, so we were given the opportunity and we, we had to find a way to make it work. So what we also realized is that we had a lot of foundations in the product that were um, generic across all of these different projects. Like, for example, the ability to harvest data from the edge, the ability to store data at scale, the ability to inject business logic into our data. So we realized that we could make that generic and form a clear boundary between what's the platform versus what we have to customize and tailor from one individual customer to the next. So we started founding, um, forming that, that kind of platform approach pretty much in the early days. And it was a big decision to take for us because, you know, it, 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 you, you pay a tax to make something generic in a platform. You pay a tax to do that. But that but that's really paying off for us because we would never have been able to scale by doing single solutions for every single type of customer we were being brought into. So really that that kind of need out of out of necessity, really, we evolved into a platform um, kind of strategy. Yeah. Uh, what's what's interesting, too, is that the you know, the platform market has gotten it's it's quite crowded. There has been you know a fair amount of consolidation, but there's there's also some evolution. Um, how do you think about the the role of 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 your platform and and it, and as you as you see the market evolving, I mean, you know, what has changed and you know, how do you see it changing, at least from your perspective? Joe, if you're, sorry, Ed, if you, if you don't mind, I'm, I'm going to jump in with that one, but I'm also going to just add to something that Joe Joe mentioned earlier. So because of our background, because of how we were coming at the market, again, we took a very different route to market. We're very channel focused. Joe has mentioned some of our vendor partners, people like Cisco, Intel, Dell. Um, we, we, we work with those vendors and we go to market through their partners around the world. And these are IT guys traditionally, but they're now operating in an OT, an operational world. And, and that's a big step change for them. And it's something that that probably 
as much as anything else, drove our move towards a platform because they're dealing with guys who don't understand the complexities of, of the sort of technology. They just want to connect their things so they can collect data from it. So whereas our platform very much started as, as a management layer for very specific use cases, but with a real focus on managing that connectivity of the network piece, we very quickly realized that these operational guys really just wanted to visualize their data. And that led to a lot of problems for our partners because exactly as you've said, they didn't necessarily understand their customer's business. These system integrators who are selling network equipment would sell the same network technology into a bank as they would into a retail environment, as they would into a government environment, as they would potentially into a into a sort of a fleet or, or, or mass transit type environment. So they didn't necessarily understand uh, their, their customer's business as much as they needed to. So by giving the opportunity for them to work with the operational guys and inject those business rules and actually make decisions about what data was collected and when it was collected and how it was collected and what audience it needed to be put in front of meant that our, our platform became a critical part for pretty much every project. Although from a financial perspective, it's one of the smaller pieces of the puzzle that becomes the one point that everybody sort of revolves around. Um, yes. And, and, and I, I, I think that's the value of a platform. And there's a lot of people out there to answer now. It's a roundabout way to get to your question, but there's a lot of people out there saying they are platforms. I think the reality is they're not. Um, and there are also a lot of different types of platforms. There are some platforms that are purely focused on device management and they do it really, really well. But they don't understand anything about the business logic and the edge compute concepts and they don't understand the data analytics piece and they can't do visualization very well. But they're really, really good at, at device management. There are other platforms that just say, they're, hey, we're a cloud service, send us your data and we'll do our magic on it. And, and that's fine but it doesn't give the customer any ability to manipulate the data at the edge, to make decisions at the edge about what data is important. Because, and, and we'll take a fleet environment, uh, for, ex- for example, you may want to collect, a, typ- a typical vehicle engine produces about 20,000 data points a minute. Maybe five or 10 of those data points may be interesting. Some of them will only be interesting at certain times. So you may not always want to monitor your oil levels, but if your engine temperature goes too high, you need to know. So being able to work and, and set those rules at the edge and say, if this happens, then I want to collect this piece of data. That's critical. So uh, I, the, again, get, 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 getting back to your question, it, it, it's important to sort of define what is and what isn't a platform. There are a lot of point solutions out there that are saying there are platforms. And there are a lot of very, very good platforms that probably don't do the application there very, very well. And I, I think we've had a couple of years of, of, of confusion. We've had a couple of years, as you say, certainly in the last year, so a lot of consolidation. We're now starting to see a lot of companies dropping away or maybe even going back to where to their roots and saying, okay, we're not really a platform. Actually, we're just really, really good over here. And, and I think what we will see in the next coming months, and, and you know the industry better than most, Ed, a couple of the big analysts have uh, have uh, reports and have uh, magic quadrants and the like coming out of the coming months that I think will set, set some manners on the industry. All of a sudden, you won't just be able to say, hey, yeah, we're a platform, because I, I, I think the bigger analysts have taken their time, they've, they've watched the space, they've seen how it's evolved, and now over the, the, the next three to four months, you're going to see a couple of very interesting market reports that will actually create an A team and a B team in the world of IoT platforms. 
Yeah, that's no, that's that's really that's really interesting, Paul. And and I think what's uh, you know what, certainly what we see in you know in, in any uh, technology market evolution, well, certainly around in software is with where platforms essentially become that pivot point, that lever pivot point for value. It, it really is about enabling the applications and you, you have to have the, they have to have the platform for the applications to be realized. But I'd like to, I'd like to shift the, uh, the conversation to some of the applications that, uh, that, that you guys are working on. I think what's so interesting is that the problems that your technology gets used to uh, to solve are have a lot of similarities across industries, but also a lot of differences. And um, we just ask you to share. A I mean, with IoT, I think we're still in the we're still in the phase of the market where people are trying to find success stories that will validate and really help them think through their own problems and really in any industry. So could you share some of the successful use cases and how you are thinking about the applications that you're helping to enable? Yeah, no problem. Well, I'm, I'm going to let Joe talk to some of the, <coughs> excuse me, sorry, the use cases. <laughs> but um, just one point, and, and, and that's a really interesting comment you made where you talked about the IoT industry. There is no IoT industry. IoT mm -hmm. is not. In, in, in our mind, we will be very firm believers that IoT is not an industry. It's not a market you can just draw a circle around and say, this is IoT. Similar to e-commerce 15 years ago or mobile 10 years ago, it's, it's, a, it's a new way of using new technologies in existing industries. So what we regard as IoT in the manufacturing world is very, very different to IoT in the mining world or the agriculture world. But we're just, we've just got some great new technology that we can use in all of those industries. Um, Joe, maybe you'll talk about one or two different clients where there's a crossover. It might make some sense. Maybe the guys in San Diego would be a good place to start and you can work out from there. But, but I do think it's important not to think that IoT is just this thing that can be copied and pasted across lots of industries. You, you need to understand that every industry and, and, and different people in different industries and different people in different organizations even see IoT in very, very different ways. So, yeah. so I'll throw that grenade in for you, Joe, and then I'll let you step up and talk about some of the customers. Yeah. I, I, I'd agree with that certainly from the perspective that, you know, our actual customers in terms of the end user, you know, who actually, you know, purchases a solution, they don't, they don't purchase an IoT solution. They purchase something very specific. And the fact that it was delivered through an open IoT platform, you know, that's not the, the key thing is they got a solution that matches their requirements within their budget in, in their time frame. Um, and the key, the, key, the key thing as well to how we deliver solutions um, that's important to note and how, how we scale because there is so many, um, you know, different, different partners we have, different developers. I'll, I'll talk about a few of the solutions we've been involved in, but, you, you know, there are there are partners of ours who are writing applications that we're not involved in and, and maybe we just find out about them. And there's, there's all sorts of great innovation going on on our platform. And it's kind of related to your earlier question as well about how, how platforms market is, you know, is emerging and, and how it's evolving. Re really the way we see it is um, it, it, it's, you know, as, as Paul mentioned, you know, there's, there's, there's horizontal platforms and there's very specific vertical platforms. I think the key thing about it is the platforms that are going to win are the ones that focus on an ecosystem. It's not, it's not, plat, it's not going to be a platform for this, just purely that platform's technology. 
versus another platform's technology. It's going to be that platform's ecosystem versus another platform's ecosystem. So I think we're, we're seeing a repeat here of what happened in the mobile industry with you know BlackBerry and Apple. At the beginning, it wasn't Apple's specific features that bet BlackBerry's specific features. It was 200,000 developers on the application enablement of, 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 of iPhone and Apple that bet 7,000 BlackBerry developers. So that's so the key thing for us is, is our ecosystem. Now, th th there's all sorts of innovation going on in our platform. As I said, there's applications that, you know, we, it's great to see what things we, nev we never even thought of that our, our platform could be used for. Some, some of the things that, that where I'm particularly proud of what our platform has done is it, um, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a recurring theme. What we see where there's an IT department who, who kind of want to take control and want to have a, a strategy to deliver applications um, fast lower the risk, you know, with extreme levels of customization, with fully integrated systems into all their other IT systems and enterprise applications at an affordable cost. That's what this, I guess our main customer very often is that, you know, the CIO or the head of IT in a, in a large organization who has this problem where they're dealing with lots of siloed applications that don't talk to each other. And every time they need a new application, they need to engage with a vendor and it's a big conversation and obviously a big price. So one of one of the best examples we have is a customer there in San Diego where um, they were in that they were in that situation. Every, every project was a huge project and took a long time and may or may not work because they were building it from the foundations all the way up integrating into all the internal systems in San Diego and they had to go through that every time. So we started off in San Diego with one solution. It was actually a very, probably not the most exciting one, but it was it, technically it was, it solved the problem for them, which was estimated time of arrivals. So we could give them, using a new technology, we could give them down to within 10 seconds accuracy to tell them when a train was arriving at a stop. And we use it using a new technology, gateways on the trams, um, using uh, so, uh, an algorithm that, that, that we ran the GPS coordinates through. But once, once, we, once we were able to successfully deliver that, then we moved on to the next solution that they were looking for, which is a public announcement system. So the ability to just say if there was a problem on the lines, they, they, could, they could you know give audio over the speakers, say there's an issue, you need to get a bus. We also, because it was built on the platform, we also integrated it in with the previous application seamlessly. The ETA once we said, hey, if a train's rolling up, automatically send an announcement to let everybody know which train it is and where it's going. Once that was done, then we look, we moved on and done the telemetry uh, project. So we're, we're actually uh, integrated with the trains onto the onboard computers. There's a Siemens onboard computer, and we're able to allow the maintenance guys to remotely troubleshoot a tram. So this was, this was, a, this was a key thing for them because um, previously, if a tram gets stuck on the line, uh, they've got about two minutes to decide what to do with that tram because the, it, it, it's more serious than a, tr a truck breaking down on the roadside because there's, there's another tram coming five minutes behind. So they had two minutes to decide, can we get this thing going again or do we have to get it towed? So previously the drivers would just ring back to the maintenance guys and say, well, I'm stopped here. Um, I don't really know what's wrong. And it'll be, they'd be guessing. They'd be like, okay, turn it on and off again. Try this, try that. But now... The, the, the maintenance guys can actually pull it up on a screen, run a couple of commands and see exactly what's going on with that train. They can interrogate the onboard computer from back in the maintenance yard and decide quickly, yes, you need to go 
uh, we need to tow you or you need to do exactly this to get to get going again. And then once we're actually able to access that data, we're now able to gather information on fault codes on the trams and we can do trend analysis to see what kind of issues they're having most. We can also hook into their SAP ERP system to create work orders for parts that need to be replaced. Um, and that's it. And then we're on to a third, a fourth solution as well around, you know, different things around streamlining operations. But basically the CIO there is executing her strategy, her technical roadmap on, on our platform. Um, and she's just be able to move fast and get things done much more cost effective way. Um, that's one example. Will I, will I, will I give you another Sure. Sorry, Joe. Just just before you leave that, I, I think Ed, it's important to qualify to qualify there that there there were existing applications to manage the ETA of trains. There are existing applications to do the telemetry on trains. There are existing applications to do public announcements. But they were traditionally sourced by operational people within the organisation. But they were owned and managed by the IT department. So the IT department had no control over these applications, no ownership of the application as such, but they had to support it and they had to host it and they had to ensure that it was available and it was up. So this creates a nightmare for an IT team. Whereas by standardizing on a single platform and saying, okay, we're slowly but surely going to take over each of these applications and then we will own them. And then we can be responsible to the city. and We can say, we can sign up to, to KPIs and, 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 and um, quality levels, assurance levels, because now we own them from start to finish. There was always that, well, they're responsible for this piece and you're responsible for that piece. The handover is never clean. But when, it, when a city like that can standardize on a single platform and slowly roll in all their applications into it, then they have control over it. And then they can start to share data. So there are situations where the telemetry guys would never speak to the, to the ETA guys. But that's a very logical thing. If there's a problem on a train, that, that may mean the train is delayed. That, that, that's critical that those two groups know that. So standardizing on a, stand, on a single platform and delivering everything from there allows you to let everyone have visual, I'd like to visualize every piece of data you're collecting. And you can then start to be really creative and really smart in how you use that data. So sorry, Joe, I just wanted to throw it in there. It's, it's, it's sort of relevant from a commercial perspective. Um, that's uh, probably le le less important from a technical perspective, but it, it, it makes for a very efficient um, operational viewpoint, I suppose, when you're looking at everything in one place, or at least everything can be accessed through one place. Yeah, Paul, I think you, you made an interesting point and uh, that what the platform, have it, the, the role of the platform allow, because what's difficult in industrial IoT or OT plus IT solutions is that there's a need to provide cross communications across typically very different groups of stakeholders that don't speak to each other. And you provide an example of that in, in, a, in a city and municipal government, but that certainly applies to larger organizations where you have teams that are focused on you know, very specific areas. But this idea that uh, a platform isn't just necessarily technology, but it also provides that, uh, that, that foundational layer that, uh, that can cross across or provide that how would we, how, do, how should we say the uh, the cross collaboration or communications across these different stakeholders, which has been a big challenge in really implementing this first generation of connected solutions in uh, in cities and and industry. So, 
anyway, just final thoughts uh, on that. hundred percent. Yeah. And just final thoughts on that from, from you and are how, how did the lessons that, that you've learned from working with, with cities, which are super complicated, how do those translate to other industries that are also exploring connected opportunities? Joe, I don't know if you have any insight on that one. I, I, I think a city is is just a massive organization and arguably most cities are more complicated than most organizations. And um, one of the big issues with cities is there are just too many stakeholders. And, and, and it, they can be a lot, but they can be politically sensitive stakeholders as well. So one of the things we have been very focused on, certainly from a technical perspective, Joe has been very, very focused on ensuring our, we're, we're very open from an API perspective. Like we're, we can take data from anywhere and give data to anything. So if, if one person in particular is very, uh, let's say, aligned with their application and they don't want to give it up, that's okay. They can keep their application, which shows whatever it is they needed to do, and they can get that data, that application to feed data to us, and we can then take that into a data lake and include it in the mix for making decisions for the rest of the city. Or we can feed data to them and let them make decisions taking external data from the city. So that's absolutely critical. It's, not every organization has a dictatorial approach where they'll come in and go, we are doing this, end of conversation, everybody just do what they're told. Um, and so it is really, really important to be able to say, no problem. If you've got five existing applications, let's, let's work with them. Let's integrate with them. Let's take data from them. Let's feed data to them. But also let's add more value on top of that. So I think that, that politically... And, and from a commercial perspective, it helps people sort of offset things like budgets. We don't want to go and replace this. We only spent a million dollars on it last year, and we've got three more years on the contract. So so you can very easily just go, yep, that's, that we, we will continue to work with that. And that's what makes a good platform. Uh, if, if, you're, if you're too proprietary and too closed and you're not willing to share data or you're not willing to allow existing applications to integrate with you, that will make life very, very difficult for you. I think all organizations need to be open to say, this is not a greenfield site. There are very few greenfield sites out there. So we will always have to integrate with things that already exist. That's, that's, that would be my view. <laughs> Joe may have a, have a more technical uh, answer to, to, to why all that, why, why that becomes relevant from a customer perspective. Yeah, I mean, look, from our, and that actual example I talked about, San Diego, it's actually unusual in that case. They are a private organization as opposed to a city municipal. Um, so, so, so maybe some, some of the differences may, may not be the best example to compare. But, um, you know, cities typically are, you know, ROIs can not be as strong as an enterprise. Um, where I see most of the um, kind of... Um, movement, I guess, with, with, with working with cities is when you have, you know, maybe some regulatory compliance that they have to comply with and where they're forced into doing something, or if you can tag it onto either an enterprise or an academic uh, initiative where there's funding coming through an academic body or where a, a particular enterprise is motivated and incentivized to actually do some work in the city because it'll benefit that enterprise uh, customer. So if you can find those types of scenarios, then I think you can work effectively with a city. Uh, working with a city directly on their own, uh, as I said, sometimes it can be difficult to work, as Paul mentioned, through all the different stakeholders and also to find an ROI that justifies it and the budget. Um, 
in that case, if, if you're just working with a city on their own, maybe regulatory compliance is probably the only thing that would, would, would um, build a bit of a momentum in projects. And, and I actually think, Joe, and that's something that I hadn't thought of, um, Ed, I'm not sure who we are for time, but we're working with a city in the UK um, and obviously they have Brexit and there's a lot of concerns and issues around the loss of manufacturing jobs in particular. And one of the cities we're working with are doing the exact opposite to what Joe mentioned there. They're, they're actually collecting data about um, about traffic on the main intersections around the city and they're feeding it to local manufacturing companies who then feed it into their ERP systems to, to, to deliver another set of data into their for their just-in-time manufacturing processes. So they're actually able to say if a vehicle leaves your depot right now, it will take nine minutes to get to your manufacturing plant. Now if you need it there in five, don't or, or you're going to have to get it for you're going to, have to order it or whatever, book it four minutes early or whatever it is. So that's a situation where the city are actually collecting data and feeding it to local businesses to help increase that relationship with the, with the business and ensure the businesses feel aligned with the city and feel that they're getting supported by the city. Because in that particular case, these two uh, automotive manufacturers are, I think they're like they're massive employers in the region. And the city want to be seen to be using technology to support those uh, those organizations. That, that's, well, that's, a, that's, a, that's probably the flip Huh. No, it's a really interesting uh, example of the public sector really working to enhance the, the their really the effectiveness of of the of the partnership with 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 private business. That's 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 a great example. So I, I would I'd like to turn the conversation to some emerging technologies, which are near and dear to our uh, our hearts here at Momenta. And Paul, you and I have talked about this before. I wanted to ask a bit about your take on the applications of, of uh, AI and blockchain technologies to IoT, What, where you think the, the best applications are, how the current maturity of the of the technologies may be a maybe a constraint, and uh, where you, where you think some of the greatest value will come from applying uh, both AI and, and blockchain, which are a little separate but are often uh, that are they're often deployed increasingly in in proof of concepts together. Yeah. Um, so, well, uh, you, you said, Joe, sorry, sorry, Joe, before you start, Ed, you did say we had an hour. So if you start, Joe, talking about blockchain now, we're going to be here in about 10 hours. <laughs> we'll, uh, that's, that's, you're getting on to his favorite topic very quickly. Yeah, no, <laughs> two, two, two emerging technologies, as you say, uh, very interesting to ourselves here as well. And, and really a lot of it is, is, you know, looking under the covers to see, you know, beyond the hype and say, look, how can we make this real for our customers today? Um, blockchain, I'll, 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 I won't go on for as long as Paul says, I'll try and keep it short, but basically block, blockchain is, is a, a, you know, an interesting technology. Obviously, there's a lot of hype around blockchain. Really, you know, what it needs are the use cases. And obviously, the, the, where most of the hype come, comes from blockchain is, is the, the use case that most people know uh, best, which is uh, a speculation engine for trading cryptocurrency. So, you know, that's, that's, that use case is not going to be as relevant for us, but we're looking for what other use cases can blockchain bring. So, 
The pub, public uh, blockchain technologies, you know, these uh, public decentralized, you know, blockchain technologies do have some inherent uh, scaling issues, as you mentioned. So, um, you know, it, it, it kind of has all the complications of distributed technology, but none of the advantages because you're not actually distributing um, processing among different nodes. Actually, every node on the network has to do everything. Um, so that doesn't scale very well because really you're as fast as your slowest node. So so what what, what is more interesting for us is, is the private blockchain technologies out there. And actually 80% of the blockchain deployments in the world today um, across different industries are private permissioned blockchains. So that, that's a technology area we're looking at now um, where you can actually have a, a private blockchain between different actors, right, who, want, who, be, who form the nodes um, and, and they're going to be able to basically share a, a, what's what we call a ledger between themselves. So one, one use case we're looking at, it's for a, a, a particular uh, partner of ours, we're working on a, a multimodal supply chain, right? So end to end, basically um, from shipment, actually from the source to the shipment on road, at the ports, on rail, over sea, over air, uh, all the way from, from, from A to B. And being able to monitor a you know perishable goods, for example, across the entire supply chain, and one of the key things, I, I guess, when you when you have multiple actors in that supply chain, you know, you've got the you've got the guys who are at the source of that, who are who are saying they've got X amount of goods, the quality is this. Uh, you've got all the different points along that supply chain, and then you've got the receiver. They they do need to trust each other. They need to trust that they've they've done what they said they would do with those goods. That, for example, if it's a vaccine, that the temperature was a certain amount, the humidity was a certain level at every point along the way. So we can certainly collect the data. But you know, if you're receiving those goods and you're looking back, and we can present you a nice chart and show you, you know, no threshold was crossed. But we want to we want to make the integrity of that data completely unquestionable. And, and, and the partners of ours who are looking to provide that this service want to want to be able to have that as a key aspect of their service. That you cannot question the integrity of data because you know ultimately data can be tampered with if if people you know get in there and hack it and know what to do. That that that's what the fear is. So obviously security is a key point of that, but also the ability to create immutable data records, data that cannot be changed after the fact. So we're able to basically stamp the key pieces of information, you know, at, every, at various key points along the supply chain into the blockchain. And then when you then go to run your report and all, all of the all of the actors along the chain have their own copy of that. So if any one individual tries to tamper with data, it's going to it's going to become apparent to everybody. So that's one key thing that we're looking at in terms of data integrity and trust. And I think even Paul, you mentioned the other day, there was another example of you know, looking at recording the odometer reading for trucks so that people aren't, you know, altering that. Um, so so, so a, a ledger is one part of blockchain, you know, this 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 pub, this this shared ledger among different actors to, to create trust in the data. There's also a concept of smart contracts where you can actually execute a little mini contract. So, be, you know, um, Maybe maybe there's about maybe it's not just a single transaction, but maybe maybe four or five different things need to be true before the contract will be fulfilled. And those four or five different things could 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 become true at different stages. So we're looking at smart contracts for that. And again, smart contracts is something that does not scale 
on the on the public um, decentralized block, uh, blockchain at the moment. And one of the reasons it is it, there is a lot of efforts in in, ter- in trying to make that scale. Uh, I think they're getting close, but they're maybe a year or two away. But for a for a private dis- uh, blockchain, it is actually an interesting technology, and and we're looking at doing some. Uh, innovation where we could do some off-chain, what's called off-chain processing, mm-hmm. to help smart contract scale, which means that you can do some small things on on the on the uh, blockchain, but for some heavy lifting, you take it off-chain and you throw the result back on when it's finished. So there's a there's quite a lot we're looking at there um, with blockchain and an interesting uh, technology area. That's no, that's that's great. And how about uh, the the application of machine learning and AI technologies to uh, really traditional connected solutions? Uh, I, I know it's a it's certainly a broad brush and a, a broad area. In many in many respects, AI is foundational technology. But could you talk about where, where you see the, the the greatest value for machine learning applied and any potential pitfalls or uh, caveats when you're you're a uh, maybe you're a you're a business looking to to implement a, a solution for for visibility and optimization and you want to try this technology are there are there any uh, considerations that that you would uh, that would you would highlight yeah absolutely and um, so 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 AI is a de- definitely an interesting uh, area for us and there's there's multiple places where you can inject intelligence, artificial intelligence into into your end-to-end flow of data. And one is right out of the edge, right? You can have some, you've got these IoT gateways where you can run machine learning algorithms right out at the edge. So you can be looking at data coming in off sensors. You can have a smart algorithm that's constantly learning, um, and, and it can actually make decisions right out at the edge straight away. We're doing stuff in. Uh, smart agriculture, where we're taking data from sensors, is an, an, a very interesting use case where we've got, you know, palm trees, and the, the palm trees basically grow. They, they have to have certain conditions. The conditions have to be right in terms of the soil t- um, conditions, the environmental conditions, the amount of pho- photosynthesis taking place. So we measure all of that, and basically, it, it's pretty serious because if a tree, if, if the conditions aren't right, the tree actually flips gender. It goes from female to male. And while it's male, it doesn't produce any crops. So if you've got a plantation with, I don't know, 30,000 hectares of, of, of palm trees and 10% of them are male, that's a lot, that's money. That's, that's, you're losing money there. So we're applying machine learning at right out at the edge to monitor those conditions. And when we see a threshold being breached and we say, this, this looks like this, this tree is going to flip. From, from female to male, if we don't take action here, you can actually automate some various actions. You know, you can, you can, uh, you know, uh, turn on some sprinklers. You can, you can hook into their operational systems to schedule, um, you know, the, the, the guys to come out and put some fertilizer down or to, to give that tree some, or, or that area usually some attention to, 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 uh, to, to stop that, that, I guess, those, those trees from changing gender. So that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's one good, good area, good example of, I guess, machine learning at the edge. As you go up to the cloud side, there's also uh, a lot we're doing there. And really, there's, there's kind of two main areas. One is trying to, um, I guess, predict that there's going to be problems are going to occur. Um, predict false, basically. And you... Using a lot of data from potentially lots of different data sources, feeding it into predictive models to try and predict that basically a fault is about to occur. 
that's a, that's one key thing. And then the final thing is actually predicting what the response should be. So once once you've realized you have a problem, and once we've detected that, maybe an event has come into us and says, hey, something in the system's gone down. A lot of the time, especially with some of the larger organizations we work with, a big aspect of this is actually just getting this information, getting this information to the right people quickly. You know, we, we've had scenarios where there's been incidents that have lasted four hours on a customer site, um, and each each minute w- was costing them 10 grand. Hmm. So, uh, and that was an incident that, you know, was it took them 45 minutes to react to the incident. And then once they reacted, it took them, you know, three and a quarter hours to actually get all the right people and finally get the right person to solve that solve that incident. So what we've, we've put a lot of focus on is actually artificial intelligence in terms of learning what, how to respond to incidents better. Number one, get everybody involved, get the people and the machines and the data involved to help us resolve this incident quickly. So, so those are kind of the areas that we're looking at in terms of AI. But I, I guess if you, if you want to talk about the reality of how this is delivered, predictive modeling is, you know, it, it's a services intensive thing. You know, you can't just copy and paste a predictive model from one play, from one environment to the other, even if even if they look like the same. If, let, let's say another example of a, of a of a of a use case we had was where we predicted the probability that a vehicle would need to be repaired within the next thirty days. But the the factors and the weight among those factors and the algorithms behind predicting that a vehicle needs to be repaired in a utilities environment would be very different than a, a school bus, for example. So. Predictive models need to evolve individually in their own environment. So one of one of our focuses, because as I mentioned earlier, we're always looking at how we can achieve scale. And I guess as an application enablement platform, we we've, we've brought those principles of enabling external you know developers uh, across to the to the to the data science world as well. So we're really focused on enabling teams of data scientists write predictive models. So Davra don't have to write the predictive models. Sure, we can. We have a professional services wing that can do that. But the real focus is on building up and, and enabling an ecosystem of data scientists to do that. So we have a, a function called predictive model lifecycle management, which data scientists can use to basically manage the lifecycle of a predictive model for their customers, which allows them to scope out what a predictive model needs to be able to do, what do they want to achieve from this AI, they actually have a, an integrated development environment that allows them to develop their, their predictive model. Then the key thing is they need to train that model and then score that model. And finally, the last piece is feed that model with real-time data. So we set up a real-time data pipe to that model. And basically, they can manage their predictive model over the course of its life, see, see, it, see it get to the point where it's accurate enough to put into production, um, the typical best practice is they have a champion predictive model, which is the one that you're actually is in production and the one that you're actually reacting to its predictions. And you always have challenger models as well. So challenger A, challenger B. And every model, you know, it, it, it comes to um, maturity and then it decays and declines. At which, and so, so we, help them, we help them gauge when the right time is to promote a challenger in and place of the, of the champion mod, um, model. Great. So I guess, yeah. No, that that that's that's a really uh, a, a very clear outline of or explanation of of what 
what's involved and, and what I mean, it's, of course it's uh, you, you do need to use the right tools and the right, uh, the right approaches and uh, keep it iterative. And, uh, but it is amazingly powerful. So we're, we're coming down to the, the last question. And I think what I'd like to, to ask of both of you is um, one, you know, what, are you excited about in coming in in the coming years or in in connected in industry? I would say what you know what really sparks your sparks your passion and and also I always like to ask if there's a if there's a a book or a resource or a recommendation uh, that you like to share and it doesn't even have to be related to to technology or or, or industry but uh, for. For either of you, would love to get your thoughts on 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 those uh, those topics. Okay, well, my uh, my excitement—I'm I'm ultimately at the end of the day, Ed. I'm a sales guy, so my excitement always comes from from revenues and growth and where we're going as an organization. And I, I think this industry—and I know I'm, I'm the one who said earlier—IoT isn't an industry, but. Uh, I think this industry is really starting to mature. We've come through a couple of years where people are dipping their toe in and they're they're trying to get their head around what this these new technologies mean to them. We've seen huge maturation in the last year. The, the projects that like, we have this slide that we show, we have this sort of funnel approach where we show where the IoT industry is and how there's a huge bottleneck at the top where people are getting through the early stage technology trials and the proof of concepts. <laughs> they need something like what we're offering to help them do that. But what we're absolutely seeing is we're seeing more and more projects now moving through that phase into the real phase where they're saying, okay, we know the technology works. Now we want to roll it out in an area of our business or in for, for a small piece of our business. And we're starting to see a real upsurge in the number of projects moving from proof of concept to real life. And the next step after that is, okay, we really like where it's working in this piece of our business. Now we have to add it to more of our business. Or as Joe alluded to in a, in a number of cases, now we have to start adding new functions and features. So every time the customer, the more they, the value they get from our platform, the more assets, the more things they add, the more license revenue we get. So to me, that that's the exciting thing. That's where 2018 has already started off. We're up 200% on last year. So that, that to me is... This, this industry is maturing and it's coming together now and it's starting to make a difference for people. So that, that's, that's, that's the first thing. In relation to, <laughs> excuse me, sorry, to, to a book, I, I think the Bible for IoT at the moment is Magic Kranz's book, Building mm. the Internet of Things. Yeah. Now, I'll, I'll put my hand up and say Magic is a good buddy of ours and, and he was our, our sponsor way back in the early days in Cisco. So, but but it is, it's a great book and it's well worth a read. It is. It is. Effective, just to understand. Um, and, and beyond that, one, one book I always, always recommend to people, and it doesn't matter what size or organization, it's very much aimed at startups and telling you about the mistakes you can make, but everybody should read it. It's called The Hard Thing About... <coughs> excuse me, sorry. It's called The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Ben Horowitz's book, right, right. Absolutely. Horowitz, yeah, it's... it's it's just fantastic. I, I, I sit and I read it and I realize, you know, all these mistakes I make every day. Well, smart people like Ben have been making them for years, so I can't be that. It's just a great, it's just a great read. It really is. Great. All right. Well, we're, we're, we're kind of coming up to the, to the end of our, our allotted time here. And, um, uh, Joe, did you have any final, final comments? 
I, I guess just to your just to your question about what excites us, you know, really really there's a couple of trends that are, that are exciting exciting us certainly. As Paul mentioned, you know, the, the maturity of the market. That's one thing. You know, binders, devices, gateways, sensors, they're getting better, right? We, we were able to build better solutions with them. Standards are maturing. But I think the, the most exciting trend I've seen is actually the capabilities of our partners who actually to, to, to adopt and build on our platform. So system integrators who maybe traditionally had uh, skill sets in you know networking, data center, telephony are now the ones who are taking IoT seriously are now building IoT teams where they have developers in-house and they're building that skill set. Also, IT departments, traditional IT departments that want to that want to adopt a strategy around IoT are actually hiring developers in-house. So it's a real trend that I see is that the capabilities of the ecosystem we are targeting is really ramping up. In, in the last year, I've seen it even, it's a, it's a, it's a massive difference. So that, that's, that's really exciting for us because as a platform provider, those are, those are, the, are, the, are the users that are going to make up our, our ecosystem to help us scale. Awesome. Well, uh, Paul, again, thanks to Paul Glynn, CEO, and Joe Quinn, CTO of Davra Networks. And this is Ed McGuire from Momenta. I am the Insights Partner, and we will be sharing uh, the resources from the, the podcast. want to thank everybody who has, has stuck with this conversation till the end, and it was a really fascinating exploration of a lot of really practical insights as well as uh, uh, a lot of new things, which I learned in, in, in our conversation. So I want to thank you both and thank everyone for listening. Thank you for listening to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast. We rely on feedback, comments, and input from our listeners. So please interact with us by going to our LinkedIn page, our Twitter accounts, or email us at edge at momenta.partners with any suggestions, guest ideas, or commentary. We really value your input and appreciate your listening. Thanks a lot. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners.